As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. And it's a rare, rare treat for us this week as the three of us have managed to get together. I'm joined by Global Greg Evans and Holly Percival to talk about Aston Villa, four defeats in a row now. But let's concentrate on the positives. Greg, we've managed to get all of us on the same podcast. Yes, good morning. It's uh, it's good to see Holly again. Good to see you, Dan. Um, yeah. Good to be here, I suppose. Just a shame about the results. Yeah, Holly. Wi-Fi issues, wasn't it, last week, I think, was the reason that you couldn't make the podcast a light cry-off. <laughs> a lot of inconsistency from you two. I, I feel like I'm, I'm the only consistent one. I'm like Matty Cash. I've, I've played every game this season, but I've, I've had to, it's chopped and changed around me. I can only apologise. I was fighting the Wi-Fi box in the wall at, I think, half past seven in the morning to try and get it to work for the for the podcast so when I realized it inevitably wasn't going to happen I was I was quite upset because I was ready to digest the defeat and then now with more defeats back to back I don't think I'm any more prepared to be honest because it felt like a game that could have could have gone our way or could have got a point and then all of a sudden it was 4-0 and and now we're going to have to sit here and talk about it. And I just feel like the curse is back. Whenever you're on a podcast, there's always a defeat to digest, Holly. So don't worry about that. We'll get into that right now. Greg, you and I were both at Villa Park. I mean, a good first half. I turned around to my dad and said, you know, we're losing 1-0, but we're in this game here. We've played well. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively happy. And then as Holly said, the second half just got away from us completely. But it did turn into another miserable day at Villa Park. It was, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really, really hard to dress up. Well, it's impossible to dress up nicely a 4-0 defeat at home. And it was the heaviest defeat of the season. So, you know, inevitably there's going to be so many frustrated supporters leaving Villa Park. The one thing that I that really struck me um, from sitting from my position in the Trinity Road um, press box was how empty Villa Park went after 74 minutes. And I just thought, I, I genuinely can't remember a time... Um, in the last four or five years, maybe even longer, where where he where he emptied like that. It felt like the six 0 defeat at Liverpool. To be honest, where it felt like there was nobody sat next to me except for my dad. <laughs> it felt like it was just me and my dad in the whole tent. It was so strange looking at uh, looking at the whole tent because there was so many 
there's so many little gaps. It looked like a, it looked like an advent calendar when you're coming towards the end of Christmas, and there's and there's just all little holes appearing in it. Um, it was just weird. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I haven't seen Villa Park like that uh, for a very very long time. And then by full time, there was hardly anybody in there. And, and you know, it's disappointing, isn't it? Because there's only four home games left this season, um, and if supporters are really that you know disappointed that they're leaving that early, um, it just shows how how bad Villa are at the moment. Yeah, holes in the stand, holes in the defence, Holler. And I said this on on another podcast that I do. I feel quite deflated by what's going on at the moment. You know, in some respects, being safe, you know, is what we would have all wanted a, a few years ago. But at the start of the season, I was, I was really excited. I remember going to Watford away. hadn't been hadn't been to an away game for so long because of COVID. I was absolutely buzzing. Everyone was having a great day. And then we got to the game and it was absolutely terrible. And I thought this season was going to be really special because of fans being back in after so long off. But it's kind of just petering out for Villa a little bit. And, and Villa Park was a, a little bit depressing in the second half. Yeah, I um, heard from other couple of, a couple of other people who went to the game that it just there was no energy left, which is always quite surprising to hear for Villa Park because there's normally always still good support from fans, even if, if we have lost. So I think there is that kind of mindset and that mood around Villa and Villa fans at the moment is that there really isn't anything left to play for in terms of we obviously can't reach European football. Um, we're, we're safe from relegation. So I, th- I think we're you, safe. I'm not, I'm not 100% yeah, sure at the moment. You'd like to think we are at this current moment in time. Um, so it's what, what do you keep getting excited for for these last few games other than wanting to obviously see your team end on as much of a positive as possible? So I think people are frustrated as well. I, I know I was frustrated because I was watching that game and I thought, just every now and then I was like, if only we did have like that central defensive midfielder that would help fix some of those issues. And, you know, if, if, if we actually had, at times it felt like, oh, if only we had a striker who knew where the goal was because we just couldn't find the back of the net. And it was like issues that I feel like have been kind of hovering over Villa for the last couple of months when results haven't gone our way. And I think that can be quite tiring when it's that same kind of issue on repeat. So understandably, a lot of Villa fans left early on the weekend. Yeah, in one of those awkward situations at the moment, Greg, where we're not particularly great at defending and we're not good at scoring either. That's a bad place to be as a football club. It's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? You know, it doesn't get much worse than that if you're in the Premier League because you're going to get punished um, when when you're sloppy at the back and, and you're also going to get punished for not taking your chances. So it's d- disappointing, really. I mean, for 42 minutes, I have to admit, I really enjoyed watching Villa. I thought they were excellent. Yeah, lovely football. Lloris had to make eight eight saves in the game. But if you just look at the patterns in, uh, patterns of play throughout the game, um, it just felt like Villa were never going to score at, at one point. When Coutinho had that free kick right on the on the stroke of half-time and that never went in. I mean, it would have been an unbelievable goal if it had gone in, mind you. But the fact that it, it, it didn't go in and it was so close, I just thought, is this going to be one of those days for Villa? And then even right at the end when Leon Bailey had that chance where he just needed to side foot it into the bottom corner, you know, almost an open net um, into the bottom corner, but he, he blazed it over. Just thought, you know, that, that pretty much sums up this game. Villa just haven't really got any forwards in form at the moment and, and that's costing them because they are creating chances. Yeah, the Ramsey and Coutinho ones, Greg, were unfortunate, not great sales from Loris, but the alarming thing was probably Ings and Watkins' finishing. They both looked cold in, in front of goal and Danny Ings over the last few years in the Premier League. I mean, when he's played against Villa, he's absolutely scored from all angles. Yeah. But he's come to Villa Park and I don't think I've ever seen Danny Ings be so cold in front of goal. 
No, I mean, I wonder whether it's because he's slightly in and out of the team. He, he hasn't really got his rhythm. Um, you know, any striker, they, they, they will tell you that they want to be playing every week and, and they want those goals behind them and to, to give them the confidence. Perhaps he's feeling, perhaps he's a bit cold because of that. He had a couple of good chances, didn't he? The one at the, the back post, you always expect him to put away. I actually thought, even though the, the difficulty of the, the chance was, was much greater. The one that he had from outside the box, where he typically tends to bend them into the top corner and it just flew you know, inches over, those are the ones you always expect him to kind of put in because he, he's done that a few times against Villa and he's done that a lot in his career as well. So I thought he'd almost made amends with that chance. But yeah, it's not, it's not quite working for him at the moment when, when he gets in front of the goal. He's missed a couple of decent opportunities. Um, you, know, you can look back throughout the season and, and there were others in other games too. Watkins as well had the the header, which you know you expect your striker to kind of bury. There was just no conviction in that whatsoever. No, I mean they they happen. Look, you know you get these chances in front of the goal and, and you miss. They happen. You hope you get another one and put it away. Unfortunately, I don't think he had another chance to do. He didn't get a chance to make amends for that one. But um, you know, and he'll be kicking himself because that that was the big one that could have changed the game. The game fell away from Villa after that. I mean, you know, it was dis- really disappointing to concede an early goal, but the reaction that they showed after that was excellent. Um, if they'd have put one of those chances away, the game would have been different. And then in the second half, Tottenham came out, hit Villa again on the break well, you know, with one of those, another long ball. Long balls were a major issue. That's what I, I wrote about in my article. I went into a bit more detail on, on why Villa couldn't deal with those long balls and, and, and how frustrating it was watching them trying to... Um, and then after that, look, you know, you know the game's going to open up because when you're two goals behind to a very good side like Tottenham, who are excellent on the counter-attack, you know that there's always going to be chances for that opposition team. And as bad as 4-0 looks, you, you, you know, you, you expected that to perhaps happen if Villa didn't get the goal that they needed when they were trying to go up the other end and score. Spurs gave Villa an absolute lesson in finishing Holly. It's fair to say Villa had had Son or Kane up front and might have scored in the first half, but... I don't think Emmy Martinez has made a save in that game. I honestly don't remember him touching the ball with his hands at all in the in the ninety minutes. It, it was a real, real strange day. I agree with you. I I don't really remember other than the four goals when when Martinez was having to be heavily tested and, and had to pull off a, a good save on like Lloris, who who Villa really tested. So I think that's probably what added to the frustration because. It felt like, obviously, Spurs were, were extremely clinical with their chances. I mean, they only had five shots on target and scored from four of those. So, unlike unlike Villa, they had, I think, seven shots on target in the first half, eight shots on target overall, and never found the back of the net once because the, the finishing wasn't clinical. So, it was frustrating that, that Martinez almost had nothing to do apart from when the goals were scored. But, like Greg said, those long balls were, were a major issue for Villa and I mean, I've watched it back a few times, and I like the the Son's third goal, for example, when it was that big three ball by Kane, the header. Does Konza get dragged out if if there's a defensive midfielder that he can trust? Or, mm, or I think that's valid. I just don't know whether there's a lack of almost trust in the midfield at the moment, and Konza's felt the need to obviously push so high with Kane when he's when he's come forward for the ball. Um, so I just Villa just looked disjointed and lost, and it it, it just doesn't seem like that is going to improve quickly before the end of the season and it, it perhaps will take Marvellous Nakamba returning to, to to kind of re-inspire those players or ultimately a, a big summer signing that's going to kind of you know will bring in the right kind of attitude and the right kind of attributes as well so it's just a frustrating game to see Villa be so defensively poor when the end of last season you know you felt defensively they they'd played the best 
defensive football that they we had seen from Villa since kind of Dean Smith had taken over. So again, frustrating. I played eleven aside on Friday night. This is obviously a very amateur level. You know, there's a lot of long balls when you when you're playing at a low level. I think we would have conceded goals for the Villa conceded. Just the basic long balls, Greg. Have you got any any reason why this is happening? Is it the same as what Holly says? Is it the lack of a midfielder and defenders are having to pull themselves out? I'm pretty sure you would have conceded if you were up against Kane and Son and those long <laughs> balls were played into them. I don't, but don't you think those long balls were just so, so basic? I mean, yes, but you're dealing with Harry Kane. and, and The Harry Kane one was Son. unbelievable, to be fair. They're literally two of the best players in the world, Dan, come on. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying they're not. But Villa should be better than getting than getting done by that long ball time and time again. Well, yeah, but they should also be putting chances away. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, my whole match article was based around the long balls and and how they failed to deal with them. Yes, they did fail to deal with them. Um, to answer your question, but they're up against elite players who work on that day in day out and 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 the movement in and around each other. And, and they punish If you've them. watched Harry Kane this season, you know he drops deep. Yes. So, you know that happens. There should be there should be a plan in place for that and it just didn't look like there was a plan for it. What I'd say to it, I'd say, I'd say look, I mean, we, we asked Stephen Gerrard this after, after the game and, and he was equally as disappointed as every supporter inside uh, Villa Park. You know, I'm very frustrated at his defence for not being able to deal with those uh, long balls. The first one... You, it's a mistake from Konza. He, he usually, those are the headers that he used to clear away every single time, him and Mings. You remember them even in the first season back in the Premier League, the two of them used to clear those headers, uh, used to clear those balls away for fun. So you can almost excuse them for that because that's that's one mistake. Early on in the game, they've made a mistake, they move on. The, the problem they've got then is that they're opening up the game. They're tr- they have to attack they have to go forward because if they don't, they're not going to score and they're going to lose the game regardless of what happens because they are 1-0 down. So that's going to open up spaces and the issue is Villa were pushing forward and forward and forward and they created so many chances in the first half and that's going to leave them slightly vulnerable at the back. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending... The first half wasn't a problem though, was it? it wasn't that, the long ball wasn't a problem in the first half. It was just the second half we got we got done with it really. Yeah, and, and it's kind of like sw- they've switched off early into the second half. It's frustrating, you know, it's, it, they're errors. They they weren't close enough. I had a look back on the, I think it was this uh, Son's goal when he came running through, was that the third one? When he ran through the mid... That was the worst one That, that was probably the, the worst, you know, looking back on it. You look at Louise, he's, he's kind of out of position and isn't offering the bat two enough protection. Cash is isolated because he's got to look at Reggion, who who's trying to push forward. He's kind of got one eye on him and then one eye on trying to help Konza because Son's running through the middle. Perhaps he should have covered and focused on that um, rather than Reggion, who was a little bit further back. But you look at it and it's it's just ugly. You know, it's 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 it, you know it feels like uh, a really struggling team when you watch that back. But you know, admittedly, up against a team who have who have just scored five goals in their previous game and are on a really good run of results. Um, under Antonio Conte and, and you kind of thought with the players that they had available that they would kick on at some point in the season so I'm not entirely surprised that, that they're pulling this run of results together and their January transfer window was excellent Benson Kerr made a bit of a difference hasn't he in Kulisevsky for sure yeah Kulisevsky's class 
So that, those front three are excellent. They're working well together and, and they punish Villa. And I think the, yes, the long balls were an issue, but I, I just think um, Tottenham's world-class players got the better of um, a defence that's a little bit out of sorts at the moment for Villa. And that was the main difference. I'm just thinking about the goal where Conor follow Kane. And I'm just thinking, you followed him all that way, which has obviously created a hole. But you haven't done it. You haven't done anything when you follow. You haven't put him off making the header. You haven't made any contact with him. You haven't put him under any pressure at all. That's that's what I'm talking. That's what, what I think's bad is that you've just created this massive gap. You followed Harry Kane, which is fine. Yes, we know Harry Kane drops deep, but you've actually done nothing to stop him heading the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, that, perhaps that's look, looking back now. I mean, you know, you you can see the foul almost if if you can see it coming. Do something if you can see it coming, and you can see that you know you're you're short on numbers, and you and you're going to get done at some point on the uh, on the break. A foul's the right thing to do there, and and Gerard's going to be really happy with that. But they didn't do it. Conzer had a bad day. Um, I like Conzer, and, and I find it hard to to. Um, to, to slam into him too much. He's, he's 90 minutes against Tottenham was poor. It's probably the worst game he's played in the Villa shirt. Yeah, because he was, I'd say he was on the scene in a bad way for the first three goals. Yeah, I mean, look, he was, he was his worst game in a Villa shirt. You know, he'll probably hand, he'll hold his hands up and, and say the same, I'm sure. Um, I, I struggle to, to get into him too much because of what he's done, where he's come from, um, you know, what he's become as a Villa player. I think he's been excellent um, and I really like him as a player. He just had a bad day on on Sunday, uh, Saturday, um, and on the back of a bad day like that, you kind of expect him to lose his place for the next game. As I say, if I was Callum Chambers, I said this on Twitter, I'd have watched that game and thought, if I try and well, yeah, I should be back in the team next week. There's three central defenders; they're all pushing for 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 two of those places. But yeah, Chambers, I'm sure he'll be pushing for a start. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Holly, I did a podcast yesterday with Charlie Eccleshare on Spurs. Fantastic timing for the Athletic Football Podcast to decide to cover Spurs. I was absolutely delighted when I found out that was what the topic was. He was talking about Villa's physicality, and I think Spurs were quite unhappy with the with the physicality of Villa. There was the cash tackle on Doherty, and he ended up obviously going going off injured. I haven't seen that tackle back, but at the time it just felt like he got the ball and it was a little bit robust, yeah, but but that's football. But Villa have come under a little bit of heat in a couple of games. Now, it seems to be a thing against North London teams. If we come up against a North London team, we get accused of violence. There was quite the conversation in the office and um, there's quite a few Spurs fans, obviously, that work for the Athletics. So that was good fun in the office um, to kind of have that debate on Monday morning as to whether the foul, whether the tackle should have been deemed a foul and, and dangerous. But... Uh, the slow-mo replays of that tackle make it look worse than what it is, but ultimately Cash does win the ball. Um, I think 
it's just unfortunate for for Doherty that or Doherty, sorry that that Cashy's going down quite late, if that makes sense. So his legs are still fairly high in the air, and that's what makes the connection with his knee. Um, so obviously, you don't want to see a player get injured. That's that that's not the case. And I feel like sometimes there's that perception that Villa want to injure players, and and that definitely is not the case when they're making those tackles. Um, but are players becoming too sensitive, or is you know how traditional do you want football to be with its tackles? I think it's a very good debate to, to be had, but I I didn't see anything wrong with the the tackle that Cash made personally. I think if it was the other way around as well, I'd have said, well, he has got the ball. It's just the positioning of both players' bodies when the the contact is made on the follow through from both of them. I would say Cash isn't a malicious player, and I would say yes, he's gone he's gone in hard, but he but he went to get the ball, Greg. The one that I actually found, one of the things I found most annoying about the game, it didn't really get much attention at all in the press. End of the game, Luca Dean's obviously ended up picking a really bad injury. Romero has just shoved him, and there and there is no need for that. And he's and Luca Dean's probably going to be out for the season as well. But nobody seems to be talking about that. That was completely unnecessary. I think Romero's quite a lucky boy not to get a yellow card throughout that game. He um, sticks tight to attackers like a rash. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, he had a couple of um, couple of incidents where I thought, yeah, if you if you do another one of them, you're going to get booked. But but he, but he didn't. Just going back to the the cash Doherty challenge, I could totally understand where Doherty's coming from because if you're if you're in his camp and he's now out for the season you're going to be frustrated and you're going to look at the the incident that that caused that injury and analyze it and 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 yeah as Holly mentioned when you look back at it in slow motion it it looks a little bit worse than it, than it was but Cash is is um a wholehearted player that's how that's one of the attributes that has got him to where he is he's never going to change that he won the ball. Absolutely nothing wrong with the challenge in my eyes, um, and that's not me with uh, my Aston Villa reporter hat on. You know, it's. I think it was a good challenge. I think. Well, sorry, I think it was a fair challenge. Um, I quite. What about your family hat? <laughs> no, not not no, even with not the family, family hat on. No, 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 not even with the, the distant relative. No. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it could could have been any player. I, I spoke up for Tyrone Mings when he uh, when he put that challenge in on Bukayo Saka couple of weeks back, which again, you know, it's a good challenge. Bloody there was hell. nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with either of them. And, and you, know, you know, people who are listening who, who might say that, yeah, well, you know, you're following both filler players there. But, you know, I firmly believe in both of those challenges. They're fine. And and I think Steven Gerrard is encouraging his Villa players to show that, that bit of fight. And those are the players that are going to stay in the team, the ones that show a little bit of fight. Jacob Ramsey put in a, in a tough challenge at a point in the game where lots of tackles and challenges were uh, flying in and it fired up the Villa Park crowd and that's what the player, uh, the fans want to see. They don't want to see players getting injured or their players trying to injure players and I don't think that's what Villa are trying to do. They're certainly not. They're just trying to get into the game, stamp their authority on the game, try and rev up the crowd. And to go back to your to your question and, and, and the incident with Luca Dean, yeah, you know, you you could you could pick you could pick faults in Romero and, and what he's done there, but that wasn't highlighted. Um, and and it's a really frustrating time for Luca Dean. I, I thought when he signed that he would give Villa more going forward. I thought he was an attacking improvement on that target. I think if you look back, if you listen back to some of the other podcasts that that we've done. I've always said that I don't think he's much better, if not at all better, than Matt Target defensively. Um, 
So it was a bit of a, a risky signing in that respect. But I was all for Villa signing him because they were trying to become more of an attacking team. It just doesn't quite work for him, has it? He just keeps picking up injuries or illness or knocks or there's, there's always seems to be a problem for him. And um, left back is just it's a bit of a worry, isn't it, for Villa over the years? I thought he was good going forward in the first half. I thought he was quite effective. I thought he was getting high up the pitch and that, that was helping Villa look so free-flowing yeah, going I think forward. You're right. But then obviously that evaporated in the second half. Yeah, I think, you know, the, and, and Cash getting forward as well. The full-backs played a big part, the two of them. Um, and I think I think if you, you want your left-back to be like Cash, don't you? You want someone who, who gets in there, gets stuck in, he's good defensively, but also gets forward and creates problems. If, if if Dean was maybe a little bit more robust, then we'd be talking about a really quality left-back. And Holly, it looks like Ashley Young will probably be left-back for the remainder of the season now. Yeah, and I, I remember when we announced Ashley Young and quite a lot of Villa fans were like, well, we've got a Serie A winner back in our team and, you know, he's returning to Villa. So he'll probably be a more exciting signing than people thought. But since he's kind of lost his place in the starting eleven or as a regular substitution over the last few months, any time he has then stepped onto the pitch... I've never been massively impressed by him. Um, I thought when he came on, he'd been on the pitch for what, two, three minutes and then got that yellow card for that tackle on Harry Kane. I just, that was so unbelievably needless. And it was like, he was already frustrated by the team's performance before he'd even had the chance to <laughs> yeah. come on and make the, make that's, a, make a difference. That's Not exactly that what I thought. When you're already he, he was just, he was just boiling with frustration. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I genuinely, I, I was sat watching the game while working with my housemate and I, when he initially made that tackle, I just thought, I just was like, he he could get sent off here, if he, if if his foot's ever so slightly too high, he'd get sent off, and I I was I was livid at that tackle. So then, obviously, that discussion of well, Villa fans always want their players to tackle extra hard. That was an absolutely needless tackle on Harry Kane, and that kind of worries me slightly. If Young's still going to have that aggression next weekend against Leicester, um, and coming into the squad more regularly, I remember the discussion we had when Gerard came in that. Young was going to play slightly more attacking positions. Greg, you, I think you said that. Mm. Um, and Dan and I were both surprised by that. So Laughed at, Greg was. He's yeah, laughed at. Yeah. Laughed at the and room. And we were proven wrong. Yeah. And uh, since then, I just have not been impressed by Young. So he's got big boots to fill in terms of the attacking options that Dean has offered at left back, but also the defensive decision making that he needs to do. Because, I, again, I don't think that's anywhere near as strong as it needs to be. I just don't like having a right footer at left back Greg no no nor me but it's, it's needs must at the moment isn't it I mean whether Ben Crisseni gets a look in now uh, we'll see um, I, I don't see, I don't see that being the case I think Ashley Young is you know he's seasoned veteran now isn't he he's much he's, he's ready for the Premier League you know what he's going to produce even though his last two games haven't gone so well and um, that own goal at Wolves was, was, was very very unfortunate wasn't it um, comically almost comically unfortunate but um, just stumbled upon something there actually that Holly mentioned. I mean, just just thinking back to the time when Ashley Young was playing slightly further forward. Now, obviously, that was before um, Philip Coutinho came in. I'm just wondering. I mean, do you, what do you guys think? Because it's just kind of struck me. Do you think Gerard just never fancied Brendan from the start? Because I know I know Brendan played alongside Young, but to to play Young as a number ten in that sort of forward position and then quickly sign Coutinho. It all feels just a bit mad for me because Villa's recruitment policy clearly is not aligned, you know, because they've just signed the record signing, you know, in Emmy Wendy and then they go and sign Philippe Coutinho. 
admittedly, yeah, it is an improvement, but he's the same position. And I'm thinking back, you know, if you're playing Ashley Young there at number 10, Buendia can't get a look in now. I wonder if he's just never fancied him. I don't know, because I think we were playing, we, we know Gerard wants to play with two proper number 10s because that's how he's played at Rangers. So there was only really Buendia who was a proper number 10. So if he wanted to play that way, he needed another one. And then the Coutinho opportunity came along, which was a fantastic opportunity and the club and Gerard are never going to say no to that. But what I've realised is, you talk about the recruitment policy, yeah, Villa signed three players to replace Jack Grealish in Bailey, Ings and Buendia. But only one of them can ever play at the same time because of the formation that we play. And none of those players play in the same position that Jack Grealish played in. I know. So effectively, we haven't replaced him at all. And, and this is what I'm saying, you know, there, there are starting to be there are starting to be a lot of flaws in in the recruitment now, aren't there? And, you, and you, you're starting to. This always happens in defeats. You always start pick pick up pick things apart and look more at why it's going wrong. You know, in the same way as this, as if Villa were winning and Leon Bailey and and Emi Buendia and Danny Ings were scoring lots of goals and creating lots of goals, you'd be saying, "Well, what a brilliant, what a brilliant three they were signing here. They've came in and they've replaced Jack Grealish and and look, fantastic recruitment." But when it goes wrong, unfortunately, you have to look at why it's going wrong. And, and it's a valid point, Dan. You know, there, there was a really good article a couple of weeks back, I think, in 4-4-2. And, um, and it, it highlighted some stats, actually, that I wasn't aware of on, on how little uh, amount of time the three have, have played together. Um, you know, hardly the, the two out of the three hardly ever play together, let alone the three. Um, so, yeah, you, know, you look back at Villa's last five or six signs and they haven't really worked, have they? I'm just thinking back to that summer now. I'm trying to think, yeah, have we made any signing in that summer that you would say is an unquantified success? Well, no, not really. I think Ashley Young coming in, yeah, that makes sense. I think that makes sense. That was a no. That's like a free. You I don't, know, I don't that, even like class yeah, that. As I think that's a good signing. signing I say fair play. You know, good signing. Olsen coming in, slight improvement on on Jed Steer, but not not net, not majorly needed. But yeah, okay, another another decent signing, but hasn't actually been called upon yet. Then the three real big ones, Danny Ings hasn't had the, you know, a great season. He's been in and out and hasn't scored too many goals. Emi Buendia can't get in the team, record signing. Uh, Leon Baylor, again, lots of injuries. When he's been back, hasn't looked anywhere near it at the moment. Um, so the three big ones haven't really worked. Callum Chambers comes in for a free again, you know, decent decent value signing. But then you look further, even further back at Morgan Sanson, the £14 million signing who Villa described as a bargain and too good to turn down again it hasn't worked out for him has it so you're looking at the last four big signings that Villa have made and, and none of them have, have really hit hit the ground running no when you when you dress it up like that it's not good and that's a lot of money that you know that's big money big investment that's gone in for, for not a lot of rewards, so the owners won't be happy about that at all. We're going to have a look at next season shortly, but before we do, don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com slash villapod and you'll get access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. Sign up now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. have a little looky at next season then as we start to prepare for it as we want to say the back end of this one that we're in now I thought Gerard Matt I don't know whether you were at this press conference when he said this Greg I thought Gerard's comments about perhaps changing the captain and bringing a captain in in the summer were quite disrespectful and strange I can only presume that he's had a conversation with Tyra Mings before about this and perhaps his team uh, in general I found it quite surprising to, to be so revealing in a press conference uh, environment. You know, like you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. there. There was ten to fifteen of us there. So you know, what it wasn't just like a one one on one briefing with myself. Um, you know, it was in a press com- a press conference environment. Plenty of people in the room. Um, I can understand where he's coming from in terms of Villa need more leaders. Yes, they do. That I think they are quite a quite a quiet bunch out there actually. And I think because of Gerard as a player, he expects high standards from every player and probably expects more from individuals because of how he was as a player. Mings, I think, has, has been a good captain. He, he's led by example. Um, a couple of mistakes in his game, which which he'll know about, of course. Um, but in terms of a leader, I think he leads the team really well. He's an organiser, uh, good around the place, does does lots behind the scenes as well. I think you were at, a, you were at the, the foundation talk, weren't you, Dan, you know? which you could probably explain a little bit more about because I wasn't there but um that you know I, I know what Mings is like I, I know he would have spoke really well at and 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 um represented the club in in a positive light um he's, he's great at things like that what I would say in terms of the captaincy is that Mings is not Gerard's captain he was Dean Smith's captain previously and given the captaincy role, because Jack Grealish had left for Manchester City, when Stephen Gerrard came into the club, he said, I've spoken to Tyrone Mings, I'm going to keep him as the captain for now. We will reassess at a later date. That time of reassessing is now coming on, and Gerrard would have had two transfer windows you know, albeit one, the January one never really is great for signing players, but he's going to now have a summer where he can look at bringing players in that he specifically wants. And if there's a captain in that next uh, group of players that come in, then he might consider him being the captain. But he hasn't totally ruled out Ming staying as the captain. He said that. He said he's been pleased with him. He's had lots of conversations with him. Speaks to him daily about the team, about his performances, about a collective, about Villa moving forward. So that'll be the conversation and, and a decision he'll, he'll make in the summer. I mean, I guess... You know, Mings really is hardly the only leader that's at that club. But then probably Martin's probably a bit unfair on Martinez, who's a, who's a bit of a leader as well. But he's obviously in goal. You know, Mings is the vocal player on that team. He's the, he's the one that you can hear and visibly see shouting throughout a game. I guess if Steven Gerrard was to bring in a new captain, Mings is one of those players where he just wouldn't change in his in his leadership and his approach. He'd still be very vocal. And Villa are a quiet team, and they do need more leaders, like Greg says. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you that even if Mings wasn't the captain next season, I still think he would be very vocal. I think the lockdown and the lack of fans showed how local, uh, vocal he was, sorry, because you could hear it all through the TV because there was no fans present. And you obviously still want your players to be communicating as long as, I guess the only worry might be is would he over communicate and would he potentially step on toes of the new leader that comes in? Um, if I'm honest, the thing that it made me think about the most when I read Greg's piece about what Gerard said in wanting more leaders was I wondered whether Gerard has had the same dilemma as Dean Smith of, of I would like to put Tyro Mings onto the bench, but he's my captain. So can I do that? And would that cause a bit more of a a disarray and and because obviously then Dean Smith did ultimately make the decision to drop Tyra Mings when he was at the club so I just wonder how much kind of I don't know toing and froing and conversations there's been recently about that kind of leadership role and, and who might come in and and what happens going forward but ultimately I don't think Watkins is a very vocal player I think he's very focused on what he's doing on the pitch and John McGinn is is fairly vocal but how, who do you, who do you bring in? Like I, I was trying to think, what player would I want Gerard to bring into the club to be that leader? And I honestly don't know. Stephen, I'd like him to bring in a, a Stephen Gerrard if possible. Yeah, that would be great in that, in that midfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you hope that kind of central defensive midfielder is is that vocal, that leader that that Gerard wants? So I think it just makes that kind of recruitment process quite even more interesting because it's a lot more things on on a CV that Gerard will be looking for. Just looking at it, you want someone like a. Um, a Declan Rice or a, or a Scott, yeah. Scott McTominay or or a Calvin Phillips, some someone like that who who's quite uh, you know leads by example. He, he, he plays with passion, but also speaks well and 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 gain has the respect of the group. I, I presume Gerard will be looking at midfield as his um, you know go to position, perhaps to to to, to find a new captain. Um, I think what you what I would say is if Mings isn't the captain next season. I don't see that being a major slight on him purely because I look at other captains of the past. Tommy Elphick um, never changed when he lost the captaincy. James Chester never changed when he lost the captaincy. Still led by example, still helped Villa eventually towards good things. And I've no doubt that Mings, Mings will be any different. I think it would actually be a you know really good thing for Villa to get more players in who are a little bit vocal and you know a, a more of a leader in there because I think it will help that group grow. Matt Cash is somebody who I think plays like a captain, but I don't think he's quite ready to be a captain. I'm not meaning this in a disrespectful way, but just don't think he's quite as mature as, as some of the others to be a captain. You know, I, I don't know whether he would quite uh, be able to sort of rally a big group just yet, but he certainly plays like a captain and his performances have been great this season. That's one thing I liked about the championship side. You had leaders dotted around the squad. So Yedinak, I don't think, was ever captain for Villa. But you knew when he played, he'd come in and be a leader because that, that's what he did. That, that, was one thing well. Villa, that was one thing Villa got right yeah. in the championship. There was a lot of leaders in that squad. And since, since that, all those players kind of left when we got promoted, there hasn't been them leaders dotted around the squad. And no, I mean, you, you, you look at it, you know, you, you, there were a lot, wasn't it? Tom Heaton, when, when he came in the first yeah. year, he was a leader. Um, you've got, uh, you had Yedinak, Glenn Whelan before. Elmo was, you know, a fantastic leader. There were lots in there, weren't there? The, the defense, the defenders that were in there. John Terry, obviously, for a, for a short while. There were a lot of leaders in that group. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise for Gerard to come out so publicly and say all that. But I can understand what he's saying. They they do need a few more people like that in the team. They need a couple more Mings. Yeah, they need, they yeah. need a couple more Mings. 
you know. But at the evening with him, he did say since he's become captain, he takes defeats more personally. Like he reacts differently after a game to how he was when he when he wasn't captain. He he takes carries it on his shoulders and it and it weighs him down a, a little bit. Which I, I quite like that that you know you're captain, you're the leader, you take it seriously. But they definitely need more leaders around that squad because you know days like the four 0 at home Spurs probably don't happen if there's a few more leaders in there. So that they, they need to do something. Have you got any like early murmurings of of transfer business and what Villa are going to do in the summer? Uh, no, I've told that they that they that they're looking at two midfielders. They'd like a defensive midfielder and a, and another midfielder. So good. It uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be a surprise to see two new midfielders come in. You look, you, you know they're going to look at another defender at some point and, and certainly a striker. Gerard wants another number nine option, whether that will be Cameron Archer giving him a chance. They'll have a look at pre-season uh, and decide whether he's ready. But as good as Cameron Archer has been, and again, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, is Cameron Archer going to be the player that takes Villa into the top seven? Might well be. We just don't know yet. Let's move on to any other business. And Greg did a stadium article last week talking about the infrastructure at Villa Park. Do you just want to talk about that a little bit for those that haven't read it? Yeah, it was quite interesting, actually. I, de- I decided to go slightly off topic in, in terms of the, the stadium article that I wrote. I can understand why you didn't want to talk about what's going on on the pitch at the moment and decided to change <laughs> yeah. topic a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there, there'd been, there'd been a lot of, there's obviously a lot of talk around the stadium at the moment because Villa's plans are now moving forward. Uh yeah, I've been made aware of of, of some of the uh, proposals that are in place to, to to increase the north stand to make the uh, area, which is currently the car park behind the north stand, into you know an entertainment hub and and make Villa Park a place where you don't just visit on on match days. Um, you know, it's somewhere you can p- perhaps go for an away game and go and have a drink there and watch the watch the watch the team when they're playing away um, in the entertainment hub really exciting plans and, and looking forward to seeing those in full when, when they are publicly revealed there's a lot of excitement around that because Villa Park is going to become this world class venue hopefully you know they, they were moving to Villa, Villa as a club are moving towards um, making the stadium into this sort of 365 day a year um, arena very unfortunate with what happened to to the um, the drummer of the Foo Fighters, who you know who sadly passed away, and, and and that concert won't be happening now at, at Villa Park. But that was a step forward for the club. They they were wanting to do more of that, um, and and the article just goes into a little bit of detail about that really, and, and kind of explains, kind of looks back into the time when they saw, when when Villa sold. Villa Park, you know, in, in a very smart move to the owners um, for £57 million. And without that sale, which is very crafty, but perfectly legitimate, um, and other clubs like Derby and Birmingham City and Stoke City recently, and a little bit further down, Scunthorpe have done. Um, and, and I looked at it and tried to say that Villa are the only club that sold the stadium to their owners and actually benefited from it. You know, I was going to say, those teams you were mentioning, it didn't sound like it was a great yeah, idea looking yeah, at the stadium. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, you know, Villa, Villa needed to do that sale but because they were, they were you know, right up against it in terms of financial fair play. And without that sale, they, they would have fallen foul of the, the profit and sustainability rules. Um, other clubs have done it. Birmingham City, Nottingham Forest, Derby. Uh, sorry, not, not, not Nottingham Forest. Birmingham City, Derby, Stoke. Those clubs have done it purely because they they had to. They had to almost, um, you know, Villa had to, but they had to do it to survive as championship clubs without getting points deductions. Um 
Villa would have had probably the same issues if they didn't sell the stadium, but they got promoted. Um, and it's all worked in their favour since. And, and with that stadium sale, Villa have now been able to strengthen and, and have this financial um, muscle that they've got behind them. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of giving away too much of the article here, but it's all in there. They're talking of the stadium. I mean, there's a chance, well, there's not a chance it is happening. Ticket prices are going to go up, Holly. There was a fans consultation group last week at Villa Park where certain supporters groups go and meet with Christian Perslow and other people that, that work at the football club. And there is going to be a season ticket hike this time round. It's a bit worrying for certain sections of fans because it hasn't all been confirmed yet, but there is a chance that some fans could see a quite dramatic hike in their ticket prices if they have a zone change. And because Villa have, Villa have put, it looks like they're going to put a, around a 10% markup on it as well. It could be quite a big hike in times that aren't great for a lot of people. Definitely. Um, I've been having a look at the season ticket prices myself and kind of trying to work out how viable it would be in terms of kind of trying to work out how much each home game would be uh, based off of what you pay the se- for the season ticket. Um I mean, you'd like to assume that it's because obviously Villa have got plans to to make renovations to the stadium and also are going to be reinvesting that money in the transfer window and, and be pushing for European football. But it's not great. Like you said, I think people are still coming out of tough times from COVID and, and kind of still trying to find their feet. And I, I consider Villa to be quite a, a family-friendly club that a lot of more well, kids are going to. always been very fair. I, I don't think Villa's ticket prices have been un- unreasonable ever in my lifetime compared to the rest of the Premier League, I would say. Yeah, I do agree. But this this increase, like you said, for some areas of the stadium might then start to be pushing towards what other people pay for other clubs in the Premier League. And I want to make, I hope Villa are kind of considering that kind of increase in families that are going. I've heard of, I know a lot of families that are now taking kids or friends that are now taking their kids and you want to make sure that that's not going to be too cost impactive on on having a family day out. So um, hopefully the, the the ticket price increase isn't too dramatic. Yeah, just to add on to what Holly says, it's, I just think it's a really tough time um, at the moment for, for, for people in general, you know, for, 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 for football supporters uh, in and around Birmingham who are, Suffering with you know the petrol increases, the energy and gas bills are, are rising. Food food is, is costing more and more. You know it's getting really expensive for families um, in and around Birmingham now to, to to live. And if you've got a couple of kids um, and you're you're on low incomes, you know it's hard to go to the football. It's really difficult. Um, now I can sympathise from from a club's perspective because if you're if you're forward thinking, you know ambitious club like Villa, you have to. In- you have to increase your revenue streams across the board. You have to try and get better sponsorship deals. You have to try and get more from ticket sales, etc., etc. You go through all the departments, um, and 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 increasing prices for for tickets are natural when a club is is moving slightly forward. Um, you know, <laughs> admittedly, the results aren't showing that at the moment, but we know the direction Villa are trying to head in. And I think as Dan... Well, the ticket prices in general are the same as they were in the championship Yeah, exactly. At the yeah, exactly. So, you know, that says it all. And I think as Dan says, you know, typically over the years, prices at, to, go to, to, go to, to go and watch a Villa game have been reasonable. And I think what they're doing is just trying to fall in line with, with the rest of uh, the Premier League a little bit, especially those clubs towards the top end of the table. Um, but I do, I do, you know, I do understand that it's really hard for fans at the moment, um, we, you know, because everything's just so expensive in England at the moment and, and salaries aren't increasing on the back of that. 
not a great time in this country, let's be perfectly honest. But I should say that nothing's been 100% confirmed yet, so Villa will make an official announcement on what they're doing with tickets in due course. Now, Hannah Hampton had another quiet night in the England goal, and Charlotte Harper for The Athletic has written about the unhelpfulness of 10-0 wins, Holly. I mean, I said about Martinez not touching the ball, and he let in four. Did Hannah Hampton touch the ball? (sighs) Barely, honestly. Um, I don't know whether she might find that quite frustrating because she wants to prove her worth on the international stage, even though, um, you know, England pretty much have guaranteed their place at the Women's World Cup across Australia and New Zealand next year. But I think the fact that she is being considered by Serena Wiegmann ahead of the Euros is huge for her and hopefully she'll get to, to go to the Euros. I don't think she'll be the England number one with Ellie Roebuck returning from injury. She should be in the squad though, shouldn't she, you would think at the moment? Yeah, I don't see why not with the fact that she's been playing in these World Cup games, uh, World Cup qualifiers and, you know, keeping clean sheets even though ultimately the defensive line are doing most of the work because the ball hasn't really even entered Hannah Hampton's box uh, in the two games that she's played for England. But... Again, it's really exciting for her and hopefully Carla Ward can keep her at Aston Villa next season because she has proved pivotal. We should say at this point as well, there is a a women's game coming up at Villa Park on the 8th of May. It's the big WSL derby where Villa are taking on Birmingham City who could already be relegated actually, or rather probably are going to be already relegated by the time they rock up at Villa Park. But tickets are available for that one. would be good to get down there and support the women. I'm going to be going. Holly, Greg, I'm not sure whether whether you two are, but I'm definitely going to be there. I've, 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 I've asked for the day off to make sure I'm there. there it's, it's been moved to a 12 o'clock do, kickoff. That's the only frustrating part. And I think that's been uh, frustrating for a lot of WSL fans that I think all the games on that last day of the scene have been moved to 12 o'clock, but I'm, I'm definitely going to look to be there. Yeah, perhaps I'll be there as well. That does us for this week. Thanks to Greg and thanks to Holly and thanks to all of you for listening as well. We'll be back next week. No game this weekend, of course, but we'll get something in your ears ready for next week. Not sure what we'll cover, but we'll cover something. Don't forget that offer where it's just a pound a month for your first six months for The Athletic when you sign up at theathletic.com slash villapod. Have a great weekend off from the Villa disappointment and up the Villa. Athletic.